Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is your podcast, Cinema Pathways, the unique and only podcast that takes you to the next level of film. Brought to you by Paradoxical Films, Movies on Demand. I'm your host, Howard Green. Welcome to Cinema Pathway. Let's be honest, there's a lot of craziness going around in the world right now, and I think we could all use a laugh. So for this episode, we're going to change things up a little bit. Our guest today is a comedian, a fellow podcast host, and social media personality. Please welcome Dean Tarantino Gonzalez. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Great. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So Dean, let's get right into it. How'd you find your way into comedy? Uh, just five years ago started. I wanted to actually get better at script writing because I am a film student graduate from our prestigious uh, school of Miami-Dade College that loves me very much. Yeah, I noticed that writing scripts is uh, you have a lot of dull dialogue and I kind of wanted to just cut the fat out of it. And there's only one way to do that. And that's to get right in front of your people and see what works immediately. And that's what I loved about stand-up. You know, you really get to see the results of your what you say immediately as opposed to seeing it on the screen and waiting to see the people's reaction. When do you write? You like writing comedy, I, I assume? Yes. And this is the worst Joker origins or like this comedy story start ever. But uh, yeah, that's re- really why I got into stand-up. I really like And you got in five years ago. What, what did you do before that? Uh, no, before what? Comedy? Yes. I just was a film student. You're Okay, so right when you graduated, you got, a, you got into comedy. Yeah, yeah. I got into comedy during i started doing like some podcast stuff with my uh school buddies and um yeah was comedy something you always wanted to do going back to when you were a kid i've always been a comedy fan like i think a lot of people are but i've always kind of um really loved comedy and wanted to do it deep down inside yeah and then when i finally did it and realized that it was kind of like a natural thing for me surprisingly because i am the most unlikable person in a regular life situation. Why do you say that? I mean, just ask Juliet or ask Freddie. People, they, they know, people hate me. But here's the thing. They know that I'm passionate about things, right. about, you know, my work or whatever. It's just that I'm kind of hard to, I'm like a perfectionist and I don't have the status yet to be a dick. And people be like, wow, he's a genius. Like Kanye or so, or not Kanye now, but oh. Kanye before. Yeah. But uh, I I know deep down inside for real that I will be that. That's awesome. So, yeah. so I think I can relate. It's, Sometimes your humor, you say it's an acquired taste. You know, oh, no, my, humor is, my humor is for everybody. I'm talking about my personality. Your personality is an acquired <laughs> Me taste. overall as a human being, nice. it's hard to swallow. But Correct. when I get on stage in front of strangers, I can make them laugh for right. sure, anywhere I'm at. Who are your favorite comedians? Uh, my top three, uh, Louis C.K. is really my, my you know, goat top guy uh sebastian maniscalco is a huge inspiration for me and then yeah just uh, some of my local buddies who even got me in the game here uh kyle grooms he's a good friend of mine he's been in it for a while those are my oh john, john Lizano. Lizano. actually yeah. To, to, yeah top top the round three i'm a new yorker and, and he, he's a new york guy yeah he's uh he's really cool. he's great someone who probably who she you think he'd have a bigger career I mean, John. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, just more more of a household name than he is. He did some great stuff, and then he did some. Th- he's he's one of those more noticeable than than a that guy, but he pops up in unexpected films like Executive Decision, where he plays a seal. You know, he's he's awesome in Carlito's way. Uh, of Be- Benny Blanco. Benny Blanco from the Bronx. 
Right. Yeah, he's actually, he should have been the main character of that movie to me. He should have got his own spinoff. Because actually, Benny Blanco is one that I really identify with the most as far as anything. Because he was misunderstood. He he showed Carlito a lot of love and a lot of respect and just wanted to be his friend and viewed as like even a little little bro to Carlito. But the, what did Carlito do? Just shunned him, treated him like a douchebag, and then ended up roughing him up. I think Benny Blanco. And then what happened? Who gets the last laugh at the end? Think, think Carlito guess what's coming to him. Bye. Bye. He gets, uh, he gets Benny trade by his own man. Exactly. He so he loved the wrong people. It's the story of my life. Yeah. I've always felt like the cards were dealt wrong when it comes to people who who are given chances. Which fine. I'm not saying that in, like in a hating way. I'm saying that in a way of like, all right, I guess you know. But I'm over- overlooked because of what I aforementioned personality wise, which I know it's a huge factor and a key to really get those opportunities if I feel like I deserve it. Fine. But uh, yeah, Benny Blanco to me, man, should should even have his own movie because he really is the winner of that of that movie, you know? And Carlito, with his bad judgment, got what he had coming to him because of uh, bad judgment. Benny Blanco, no, I can't. But I've told John Leguizamo this um, a couple times. I worked on his movie that he did down here in uh, Miami, Critical Thinking, the chess movie. He directed it. So Bad Boys 3 was in town and his movie. And I was still in film school at the time. And uh, you could intern. They would send you out to intern and, and PA. Everybody chose Bad Boys 3, of course, right? I was one of the only ones who said, show me to Leguizamo film and I got it I got it Every, so everyone did Bad Boys 3 a couple years ago a lot of people worked on rap shit that's on there Bad Monkey is one that's coming out they filmed a little bit here it's a Netflix series with uh Vince Vaughn and uh, Michelle Monaghan are in it. They shot some stuff on the uh, Miami Dade College North North Campus. But again, back to your point, not enough comes to South Florida. Yeah, not enough. Uh, so John Leguizamo as well uh, did one the the one in Key West for Netflix a few years ago as well. Uh, I forgot what that one was called. Yeah, but he was he was here for that one too. But he he's so underrated nowadays. You know the to the point that uh, you know I don't mean to make this about all about him, but yeah, he's to me he's like a Hispanic Robin Williams and Robin Williams is a white John Leguizamo. Yeah. Like in the equal sense. I don't even want to like, you know, make it about race. But Yeah. And just one last thing about Leguizamo, as funny and as great actor as he is, he's a dancer. Like he's, I think he's a dancer, like by nature, like he got to start as a dancer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I've heard some legendary stories. I ran into him at a cafe. He also speaks fluent uh, French, fluent French. Yeah. He, he lived in France for like 11 years or something. So yeah, man. So those are my top three right there um and you bring up an interesting point you know talk about carlito's way and talk about how how benny you know really was was looking for a mentor you know he's looking for carlito so he's like hey i'm small and out i respect you that you're successful you know bring me along and i think that translates really well for people trying to get into the film industry trying to work down here you know somebody goes and be a pa it's like hey you know i want to be a be camera i want to learn grip i want to learn continuity and from what i've seen and heard it, it's a mixed bag some of them are like you know oh sure you know come by other than piss off PA I'm, I'm busy yeah I mean the ones who really get it are the ones who keep going back to those same people who tell them to piss off I just don't have the uh, the will to keep getting sent to hell and you know like what you said earlier I don't know if you want to say this but getting coffee for five years to someone pulling cables you know especially when I have my own cables I always felt the cars were dealt wrongs you know but I take my fault in it too but my solution to that was just make and buy my own deck you know and that's kind of been working as far as like me being free to do things how I wanted to do and also 
not stress out so much the way I used to stress out when I was in those circles trying to like climb to the top as you, you know. And, you know, PA getting coffee. I think the film industry, you know, it's slow to change. Like, so you have to be a PA and do this. It's like, how does getting coffee really teach me how to make a film? How does watching Crafty teach someone how to make a film? And I actually think students coming out of high school, going to film school, people go to film school a little bit later in life, they're so much more prepared because you've learned so much, whether from watching YouTube videos, being able to make a, a, vid- a movie on your phone, um, especially, you know, I re-entered school later in life after a career and it was like, you know, I paid my dues. You know, I've been a low man on the totem pole. I've done the crap work. And on a, I'm smart enough. I mean, actually, the first feature I worked on, I went on as a PA. By the end of the first week, I was the second AD. By the beginning of the first week, they fired the first AD, made me the first AD. So you just, you show up, you work your ass off, you make it known that you can do stuff, and, and hopefully the opportunities will come. That's the whole point of it. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's right. You know, I wish I had that type of... Uh discipline <laughs> but you're a military guy so you kind of like i'm a military guy who's a project manager there you go i could tell you're the only man in this room there's like four of us here who has his bed made right now because of you right no you don't make your bed my wife does oh okay there you go she oh, makes okay. it she probably had to fight for that right she, howard stop making the bed it's my job yeah no actually i'm in a mixed marriage because i was in the marine corps my wife is in the army so we we make it work she likes to remind me that she outranks me in every way possible no i'm one of those people that's like you know why make my bed i gotta get back in it that night and uh it's interesting you bring up my my time in the service and you know it was wonderful uh you know my time i was in just under four years i tore my back up pretty bad still suffering and um salute oh don't even get me started on dramatic salutes and what like i cringe like the dramatic salute plus the uh the over the overplayed God bless the USA song. Like, that's my hell. Like, having that on loop and people doing dramatic salutes. That's on it. And I don't want to get off topic. You know, thank you for your service. But that translates into your film type of career, like that discipline, kind of like... A little bit. Again, so much more. I was a project manager for 15 years, so managing schedules, managing budgets, managing people, you know, knowing that you have timelines, knowing that you have milestones, you have to, knowing that you, you know, got to report down, run around putting fires out, things are going to go wrong. Uh, that's on there. It's interesting because when I started filmmaking, I really wanted to get out of my comfort zone. I didn't want to make just, you know, military or veteran, you know, type of stuff, but I've, I've come back to it a little bit. I'm still looking to really explore different things, but one of the things I also do is I offer my services to anybody who's making a film about a veteran or the military to just bring reality authenticity to it authenticity authenticity to it everything from a uniform to the way you know the army and marine corps address you know people in the same rank differently uh that that's on there and again that's why i like filmmaking too because the director is kind of you know the general you know he just does this hey do that hey do that no one else talked to me and it's that's the way it is you know i always like directing part of the right. things, but the project managing and all the uh, producing side of it, like that's not that's not me. I just want to like, all right, tell people my ideas and I'll write some stuff or whatever. But yeah, but actually, it's so funny how really the first time I did stand up and filmmaking really was uh, intertwined because I was at like a film festival and it was the time where everyone it was in a theater and everyone had to get up to the front and talk about their new project and like tell the people their GoFundMe right because yeah. for their budget and I was like man alright well I do have a film so I went up in front of the theater 
and I was like, hey guys, what's up? Uh, I, um, I'm damn shooting a movie and I have a GoFundMe, but I'm not shooting anything. I'm just broke. Uh, if you guys could just send me some money, that'd be cool. And the wave of laughter that I got from the theater was like my first, it really hit like a wave, like, ah. Even the DJ started laughing. And I was like, oh, wow, this was pretty cool. And that was like the first time I ever really got a laugh at this film festival. Right. I think I think pitching and, you know, like sales, it's as much about they're buying you as much as the product. You, you know, if you have the personality and you can really present it well and make your, despite your personality, make yourself likable. Uh, likable. Yeah. Sales. And that. And if you have, yeah. you know, if your pitches, if your product is okay, usually they'll, they'll still go with the person. Comedy is definitely sales. Comedy is definitely sales because that's what I do now for money. Uh, so I, I do sales over the phone and it's, Literally, I'm only good at it because I'm good at comedy. I'm good on my feet. I could rebuttal. I could uh, improvise. I could get personal. I could be relatable. And um, and yeah, still be a unlikable person in my real life. <laughs> you know. So you do say you do you do sales over the phone? Yeah. Uh, so you're a telemarketer who just calls people in the middle of the night. No. Inbound only, baby. Inbound only. No, I don't call nobody out there. Uh, definitely not. But but you could probably have some fun if a telemarketer or nowadays if you get like robocalls from politics. That's when I, I like to just say weird stuff. Oh, yeah? What, what, like you, you keep them on the phone just talking oh, yeah. nonsense? Oh, yeah. I'll sometimes be like, like oh, I'm so glad you called. You know, I, I was hoping someone could come over and keep me company. That's funny. And, and they try to get off the phone. I'm like, no, no, no don't go yeah yeah well the way to do that is to pretend like you're about to buy whatever it is they're selling and keep them on the phone for 30 minutes if you have this time you know? um and, and then say oh man i left my credit card at home uh never mind uh, hang up you will piss off uh, a salesperson over the phone big time like that and, and i know it's a tough job and i know it's actually not it's one of the easiest job i've ever had in my life free well that's because the calls come to you that's right so yeah. if they're coming if they're calling you they're probably already at least halfway interested exactly whatever is about being a telemarketer that's got to be one of the two like worst jobs yeah for sure out there that and and uh meter made parking enforcement meter made they are the worst because their only purpose in life is to just bring misery i feel like some of those people get into those jobs to be that yes you know like like if i didn't have comedy i would probably be like a tow truck driver or something something where you know what if you guys hate me i'm gonna make you hate me even more and get paid for it yeah i'm gonna give me your car you know something like that but instead Instead, I chose to make people laugh, which I guess is God's work, saying pee pee jokes, I guess, you know? But yeah, I mean, it's a job's a job, and I'm, I'm really glad I'm, I'm in this one. It's super easy, and it helps me with my comedy. Yeah. But um, actually, I had another job where I was a bartender on a boat, a sightseeing boat, downtown Miami, and uh, they have a guy who says, oh, this is JLo's house. This is uh, Alex Rodriguez's house right next to her. And this is uh, Puff Daddy's house. Wow, you know, sometimes they're swingers. Ah. So, and I would be like, just their bartender, like, this is such a corny joke, dude. I could do way better. And then I would do that sometimes. I get the mic and I would just have just random people uh, from all over the world just cracking up. So, so you're quite the introvert. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, I never knew these pronouns until like the last 10 years. I just thought I was an a hole. Uh, I can't just be an a hole. Introvert. Extrovert. Yeah, but it obviously it's deep rooted, blah, 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 hurt, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, all that stuff is boring. So you walk into a party, are you the loudest guy in the room? Absolutely not. 
I am the I'm the one that's scoping the scene, making sure I don't get too you know messed up, making sure you know I do my thing, and you know not I just try not to be the that guy of any type of uh, category uh, who gets too drunk, who 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 starts the fight, who uh, you know I just you know I might talk to a girl here or two there, but I'm the guy sitting in the corner playing with the dog, hanging yeah. out with the dog, keeping the dog company. <laughs> that's hilarious. How would you describe your comedy? Self-deprecating, uh, observational, topical, you know things of that nature. Yeah, I don't really get too. Uh, um, a lot of people get into comedy to tell their dumb opinion about whatever political happenings is going on and they just not ready for that that's like trying to carry a, a, a boulder when you haven't even like when you just started the job and they haven't even given you the license to to have a bulldozer you know and you, you just have a shovel but people still try to pick up that boulder and it fails every time because you have to have time to talk about those type of issues and i know that definitely and you mentioned observational comedy you know i'm a jewish guy from new york i grew up on seinfeld and you love kanye yeah and it's still and everything larry david and all that and then you know even even going back you talk political, you know, comedies. You know, I grew up the big three, Carlin, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor. Okay, yeah. And, you know, they were, especially George Carlin. George Carlin He's actually, yeah. would say stuff and get away with stuff that no one would ever do today. I'm not going to mention it, but he does something, you know, related to the N-word mm-hmm. that... And, you know, because he was, he was best friends with Richard Pryor, that he could he could get away with that. So take us back. Do you remember your first, like, real comedy show? First time you got up on a stage yeah, in front bar. of people to give your act? Well, actually, it was a show that I did because I'm so egotistical as well that I don't like to fail. Even if I do fail, I pretend I didn't and it was part of the plan. It's not who you are. It's who they think you are. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, oh. You know, you lose a fight, you're like, nah, nah, you know what, I, I, I kind of wanted to get braces anyways, guys. You know, like, like I'm that guy. You should see his hand. Right, <laughs> exactly. I'm totally that guy. So I started my own show, and I booked people, and then I hosted the show as a way of like, and I booked the, the host who I knew was flaky, who I knew I couldn't afford, but who said yes, but then didn't show up. And I'm like, oh, damn it, I guess I have to host my own show now. Oh, God, hard life. And I, But reality, that's what I really wanted. It was hoping for so I did my own shows first to really like get the, the the guts to do it. But then I started going to the real open mics, which is the only way to really get to, uh, good to do those and to suck for a year. Mm-hmm. It's like when you want to grow braids, right? You know, this, uh, you got to go to that ugly hair phase. Yep. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're brilliant. My hair days are long behind me. Right. <laughs> How long did it take you to like say, you know what? It's over. Zzzz. I, I'll tell you what, when we take a break, I will show you a picture. It was in, I remember the exact date. Yeah. It was 2010. How old were you? I was well, you want to mid, say age, my mid yeah. third. Okay, yeah. It was, no, I'm sorry. It was 2009 and my wife and I did our engagement photo shoot, all that. And when I looked at the pictures, I saw I had the horseshoe growing on top of my head. You know, started with just a shaved head and then, you know, my wife was like, you got to do, do something and then started growing facial hair and I've never looked back. And then everybody started being like me. Everybody started going like the bald bearded, bearded look. I feel like I was a trendsetter. Yeah, because that's the way that you, you do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, good for you. But you didn't have the yarmulke for your for your wedding, or okay? But it still was already like kind of. It really, really short. You know, going all the way down, leaving a little bit. So with the yarmulke, it was good. There's a little bit of friction, so so it stayed on. I didn't have to use uh, stickums on that. Now, but even today, like I've been shaving my head probably a for a long, this long is a look. time. Let me tell you, every time I see a white guy with a bald head and beard, I always think wrestler. Wrestler. Yeah, I always think, oh, this guy, you know, he knows how to. Because I think about Stone Cold Steve Austin. How cool was he? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You see, you should use that now. Don't you? Should. Yeah. See, see, I was into wrestling back when it was real. Real. 
what, what, what was it? What, when it was not Macho Man Randy Savage? Macho Man, the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, Hulk Hogan. You know, though we used to go, we used to go every Monday night. Back then it was the Brendan Byrne Arena. Then it became, I think, it's the uh, it's the arena in New Jersey. Where the Devils and the Nets play next to you know where Giant Stadium is. The Nets, the Nets don't play there anymore, buddy. The Brooklyn, the Brooklyn <laughs> Nets now. The Devils move. Where the Nets play. The Devils move to Newark. You know, new arena. Giants and Jets are still in. Nobody, nobody wants to be in Jersey, man. But yeah, that's. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. So I'm you know from Jersey, but nobody admits they're from New Jersey. If you're from Northern Jersey, you're from New York. If you're from Southern Jersey, you say you're from Philly. Because for me, I say, oh, you know, I'm from New Milford, New Jersey. We're where the hell is that? 10 minutes from New York City, like two turns to the George Washington Bridge. Absolutely. But back to what we were saying, could you imagine if Carlin like tweeted all all those things that he was oh, talking about? Absolutely, back in the yeah. day? Uh, super canceled, super uproar. You know, that's why uh, Elon Musk just bought uh, Twitter. It finally finalized. I saw that. And he wrote, did you, did you see the tweet that he just posted? It said, I did not. Comedy is no longer illegal on Twitter. That's his first awesome. tweet. Are you a tweeter? I am actually not a tweeter. I don't like it. Uh, I tweeted... <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like it. First off, everyone gets canceled via Twitter. So that's like the first thing. Why would I even want to just put out the one thought without the context behind why I thought about it? You know, because then you get stuff like, 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 yay with DEFCON 3 stuff, which is ridiculous. But, uh, and, and besides that, yeah, Twitter, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see where he takes it as far as, um, comedians getting back on it. But I'm more of an Instagram, TikTok guy. Do you like that? Cause you could do, cause you could do more visual, more, I love more physical. More visual, yeah. Because I'm a film. Physical way, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, film all the way and yeah. skits is easy. I think I I think I created a Twitter back in 2013 when I, I was my previous career I was in government and I had to you know watch a lot of the uh, you know the House committees and Senate committees so that but a lot of reporters at that time were using Twitter because they could put out snippets you know fast as it happens instead of having to wait to get back and write an article and submit it and all that so it was the best way to really keep up Twitter keep up with like things that were happening at the moment. Yeah, I remember I was. Uh, uh, this is going to be a too real story, but I was I was arrested one time and they had me at the local sheriff's office handcuffed and the cop who arrested me was on his computer on Twitter tweeting and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, hey, bro, can you not tweet right now and just get me to where I need to go? He's like, oh, sorry, bro. I got to do this because of the whatever. I'm like, no, you don't. Take me to jail. <laughs> well, you, you, you definitely have led an interesting life uh, hearing lots of things. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. back this is the cinema pathway podcast again i'm joined by comedian dean tarantino gonzalez so dean you know a lot of you know we've had a lot of guests on our show so far and we talk a lot about pre-production we talk about the the preparation that goes into doing their craft you know before you make a film you know you're a writer you've written all the work that goes into it whether it's finding locations casting and that so as a comedian you on a podcast host social media personality what is your process like like how do you prepare where do you get your inspiration from like let's start with comedy like you know okay you have a you know you're gonna do a live show next week and then you're trying to come up with a new routine 
I mean, uh, yeah, the routines sometimes is topical. I'm really good with topical stuff, but I always try to have fun with the audience because when it comes to comedy, I could talk about this all day, but a lot of comedians think that people watching them are their bathroom mirror and they're owed them to laugh at their sucky jokes. You know, especially when you're in uh, under two years, that, that's all the mentality of open micers, as we call them, which is fine, I guess. But after a while, you have to realize that you're there for them. These people are actually watching you giving up their Wednesday, Thursday night or uh, whatever, their first date to look at you in the hopes that you do what you call yourself to do. And that's be a comedian, you know, and actually, since you mentioned uh, Seinfeld before, he's uh, he is obviously a big stand up uh, icon. And he has a great quote about you could be sad, happy, angry, political. Just make it fun for us to watch. Entertain. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same way I, I, I look at movies. You know, if I'm paying 20 bucks for a movie ticket and 30 bucks for popcorn and soda, I just want to be entertained. That's it. For two hours. I'm not looking for a movie to change my life or all that. Just entertain me. So that's the only time in my life, I think, where I actually care about being liked is when I'm on uh, on a mic or doing comedy. That's the only time. But sometimes it doesn't go as well as uh, I like. Uh, very few times uh, nowadays, thank God. If it doesn't, then I'm, I don't send the crowd to hell. Right. I, I realize that maybe there's something off with the energy, maybe I said some. Maybe some of these people don't even speak English. They look white, but in Miami, you never know. They might be Cuban, you know. But uh, it's something that I don't know that's off, and that's it. I have to deal with that and not be upset and just try again next time, you know. So, so let's say for example, me or one of our listeners think they're funny, think they want to be com comedian, and hey, there's an open mic night. Bad idea. What should we do? <laughs> well, first off, you guys are funny. Some of uh, a lot of my friends are way funnier than me. In real life, on a stage with a mic is a whole different other ball game. That's like a job. So how does someone? How would someone prepare for that? Uh, very rarely do does a good funny personality and funny on stage uh, work ethic mesh into one person. Because uh, I mean, when it does, you get guys like uh, Eddie Murphy. You get guys like that, like who are funny, like off and on, like Robin Williams. I mean, come on, how funny was that guy off screen, off stage? He was amazing. My, one of my favorite, not to get us off topic, one of my favorite Robin Williams skits you can find it you know youtube or whatever is he he was performing in washington dc and he uh you know it's a whole thing about you know a guy comes out of a coma he's like you know wait wait a minute you know when i went under you know the economy was good and uh you, you know now that that what happened to clinton oh we impeached him for what for getting a bj this sounds like what biden's saying now uh, every time he wakes up <laughs> yeah, yeah and he goes through the whole thing and then he's like you know you know then who became president bush again no his son oh oh the one from florida he's a good guy no the other one oh, junior he <laughs> traded sammy sosa so it's just his genius i mean great. it's and, on and off and but again it talks like you know you know fighting such inner demons fighting such well, that's inner the thing battles that, that we didn't know that it was inner demons. Now, here's what my next point was about those type of people with good, funny personalities off stage. They're not used to that. They most likely, we all have inner demons, obviously, but they don't have the inner demons such as I have. You know what I'm saying? So they have to be liked. They, those type of guys, they go on stage, it's like a frying pan. Within the first minute, they're going to be sweating profusely. They're not going to get no laughs. They're going to start looking down. They're going to start, <laughs> they're going to start wanting to bail. And then once they're done, most likely eight out of 10 times that person will never do comedy again because they don't have to they're already funny with their friends and family right. anyways me on the other hand i kind of like the term i'm used to the torment innerly so when i go up there and i and i don't do well 
it's actually less torment than what I give myself inside anyway. So it's like, all right, I could do this again and I could be better next time. So it's kind of, I think that's why. But every now and then, the, that funny guy does stick with it on stage right. and does, you know, transcend. But then the thing is, the business side becomes the next aspect right. after you get good, pretty good at it. Like right. year three, year four. Yeah. Now you have to start doing it for, for money now. That, I mean, or else what's the point? And a lot of those guys who are just gifted like that, they just don't. They don't. They need a manager or something. I don't know. It's just such a weird anomaly type of thing. And you bring up a great point. You know, being a comedian today, you know, having Instagram, having TikTok, having these other, you know, YouTube, having these other channels. I mean, before that, you basically had to work a comedy circuit or find another job. Uh, that's out there. So has having those other avenues, having those other channels really just helped you? As far as what, uh, jobs and making money? Just, you know, visibility, getting money, you know, honing your act, building the following. Making money is a big part of um, just living life, period. But yeah, make doing comedy is a whole different thing that I don't make any money, basically, right. pretty much. You make 50 bucks the most uh, sometimes in some shows, but it's still, uh, that's what I deserve right now. I'm at year five. Uh, I don't deserve a, a, a $10,000 weekend at the improv yet. Right. But a lot of people think that they do at their year, year two, right. <laughs> but they, they are not ready and it shows, right. which is why I love comedy. It's one of the only things that weeds people out by itself. If you fake it till you make it here, you might get a couple opportunities. Right. Uh, you might even get lucky, make some real money. But eventually, I guarantee you, people are going to stop coming because they're going to hear that you suck. They're Gonna, they're going to see through it and you're going to weed yourself out. You, you mentioned like live at the improv. Is is the comedy circuit still, I guess, uh, as robust as it used to? Like Here if you make it as a comedian, is is there still a market for like stand-up comedians? I mean, besides, you know, the Seinfeld who could sell out Radio City Music Hall, besides, you know, There's the elite, just kind of, I guess, working comedians is the best way to put it. Yes, there is. Uh, a lot of the old time guys who moved to, from New York, they moved down here, they, they get gigs and uh, there's in Miami specifically we've been really creating a big scene that's been getting bigger and bigger it's still small compared to New York and LA obviously but it's still pretty uh, big because uh, and what I love about it is that it's the same people I've been doing it five years and I, I have people here my comedy brothers I call them been doing it five six years too and it's so funny seeing this story unfold uh, the same type of stories that I hear on podcasts from the older guys like uh, the Chappelle's and uh, who are 25 years in and they're still with like they once upon a time was me five years in with their buddies that they're with now still, you know, uh, selling out arenas around the world. Right. So Miami is getting pretty big and already somebody from Miami actually got on SNL. Okay. So that's a big one. That was a big one for us. And it's just so funny for me and interesting and, and exciting to see that we're living this story. Right. Like I see it. I just see the story, the movie. Even five years from now, I'm going to think back five years uh, ago, how I was here. And then maybe hopefully I'll be on, you know, no offense, Howard, but yeah, I'll be on Fallon or some somewhere. You know, I don't want to sound like a boomer. I'm proudly, I'm proudly Gen X, but there's something to be said. We talked about this previously on podcast. There's something to be said about paying your dues. There's something said about, you know, struggling, making it work. And I, I definitely see, I don't want to millennial bash, but. There's definitely a sense of entitlement, you know, that they should have everything handed to them, especially, you know, I lived in Washington, D.C. for 15 years. And, you know, you hear these, you know, kids first year out of college, managed to get a job with a consultant or that. And I'm like, oh, I'm only making $70,000 a year. It's like, dude, I, I bartended for a year after college. I, you know, I did 12 different jobs. Yeah, I used my degree as a weed breaking up thing. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> my MDC, yeah, I put a, a skit up where I, where I broke up weed on top of my degree. And then the caption was, finally found use for my MDC degree. They they didn't like it. Did you roll the degree up into like a mighty joint? It wouldn't burn. It doesn't even burn. You can't even get rid of it. It's, it's forever. So, so going back to like preparation, I know Instagram. I have Instagram, TikTok, like What's the difference between Instagram and TikTok and what's the difference in the content you create for both? Because I know there's some on both and there's some on one and not the other. How do you decide or what really gravitates towards one or the other? TikTok, literally everyone's on it. Like kids, adults, everyone around the world. Instagram is a little more targeted with millennials and um, I mean, it's and now that Meta has it, they restricted it. They're trying to be like TikTok, which is annoying, but it's a lot harder to become uh, viral on, tic- on uh, Instagram than it is TikTok. TikTok, for some reason, is just so powerful as far as the reach. Like yeah. they really do promote as opposed to Instagram, which they, they make you feel like it's a privilege to be viral. Like I just, I've been doing this for since the pandemic with the uh, Instagram and skits. I just got my video that uh, first time million views like a week ago congratulations that's awesome yeah thanks i mean i'm here but you know very hard doesn't do anything yet as far as money wise because but that's the point of it to sell tickets eventually uh it's it's a little bit of a difference but if you could uh do both which is what i'm trying to do now there's something in it there's something and it'll pay off eventually you know what about facebook what the hell is facebook (laughs) it's funny oh is that the thing where the the, the boomers go to exactly i i have a love-hate relationship with facebook because as much as i hate it in the problems for me i've lived in so many places i've had so many different like phases of my life it's the only way to stay connected to be i mean i'm connected to my marine corps buddies from all over i'm connected you know i went to a boarding school with guys from all over the place that's college that there's from people all over that you place. know yeah i mean it's 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 to connect you know my family i don't, I don't need to see if my grandmother's still racist yes i know <laughs> she is yes i know i don't need to see if my uncle's still a trump supporter yes i already know that you know yeah. they they actually don't support as much as uh strangers though which is uh right. which is fine you know you don't need your family to yeah. support but um yeah, yeah facebook i just use it to like log on to stuff because sometimes like you you go on an app or something that says do you want to sign in with your facebook and i'm like yeah sure that's literally the only reason i have your facebook that you you have oh, facebook oh, uh, yes. your, your family and friends yes, yes facebook family and friends i created a uh, i created an instagram account for my mom to like follow Follow all the family and that because she would get sent a picture or like see a picture and be like, oh, did you see this? I'm like, yeah, I saw it like three weeks ago. Right. And so, so that way she, she can, sense. she could keep up and, you know, it's funny, you know, family. I come from a huge family. My family is kind of like the family in my big fat Greek wedding. My mother's brother and my father's brother were friends as kids. That's how my parents met. So our three families all grew up. I was very close to my first cousins and now like their kids are having kids and one of my cousin's kids just got married and you know, my brother and I, we, we aged out of the bachelor party. We weren't even invited. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I have a very close, you know, family and we're all the savvy. We were, I remember one time when uh, Spaceballs came out, That's we beautiful. were working yeah. during the summer. We went at nine, this was, you know, mid eighties. We went at 9am in the morning, buy tickets for the first show at four o'clock and we bought like 10 tickets for the family. We we're the only ones in the For theater. those who, you millennials watching space, uh, who don't know what Spaceballs is, it was a movie that was like a parody of Star Wars in the 80s BC area. Talk about Carlin, Pry, you know, Ed, I grew up on Mel Brooks. Blazing Saddles was the first movie I ever saw at like four years old. My father, Here's my uncle thing. took it. I love it. He's a, he's a, he's a classic. Uh, and I got into Milton Berle yeah. last year, who was like the first guy who was a late night hit. And he was super funny. Yeah. And I'm watching this stuff black and white, but it's so 
funny. Like as a millennial, sometimes uh, in my early twenties, you couldn't pay me to watch anything yeah. black and white. I'll just I'll fall asleep. But as you grow older and you get into these things more, you start like looking back at it, and then you start um, realizing that the guys you love now are derivatives of those guys. Oh, absolutely. And you're like, whoa, this this reminds me of Louis C.K. or this reminds me of this, uh, you know, uh, Lenny Bruce uh, C.K. You know, uh, uh, C.K. George Carlin. You know, like like as far as those are his uh, his influences, and I get it when I watch those guys. Yep. So yeah, man. As far as millennials, just to bring it back to them, uh, yes, they are kind of annoying, right? But at the same time, they didn't have to. We didn't have to deal with the stuff they dealt with as kids uh, uh, coming up. Because uh, number one, the technology boom, fine, that's obvious. But imagine you're five years old and you one of your first memories is planes hit a building in New York. Stuff like that. Like, oh, people hate each other for no real reason. And then, and then you're, you're seven years old and then a scandal comes out of, oh, priests touch kids? Your whole world turns upside down. So, of course, they grow up with this anxiety and this depression and, uh, and, and trying to be different. And now different is the same now, right? And then the tattoos and all that stuff. But it's that's why I don't fault them too much. A lot of that stuff that happened happened with our with our stuff with yours with your generation and my generation yeah that's a great perspective you know what i'm saying so I, that's why i always and i read something the other day where it's like when you're younger you're kind of leftist liberal right mm-hmm. and then as you grow older you're kind of rightish conservative but you're only rightish conservative to the things that you were leftist liberal when you were younger right. in your youth if you could find a balance as you grow older you definitely will understand the new generation that comes up after you even two generations later I would say when I got out of the Marine Corps and probably a few years later I didn't know the difference I didn't know the difference between a liberal or conservative I couldn't tell you what Republican or Democrat meant I just really kind of you know like I said you know, came from a little bit of a bubble had my head in the sand that was on there I was yeah, on that de- was your job. I was they, on deployment that's how they train you yeah I was you know on deployment when uh, the 2000 election happened and all that. I, I was more interested in, hey, Giants are going to the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a black guy running about to win. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Who's winning? Who's winning the game? Exactly. So do you um, do you work alone to create your content? Do you have any no, like, creative I have partners? a lot of, a lot of uh, creative people around. Sometimes they have their, their ideas. Sometimes they have their own. A lot of times they have the ideas, but so, uh, a lot of times I have mine that base it off of skits and stuff and uh, or bits. And um, yeah, it's, the key to this is working with other people for sure like-minded individuals who are in the same game as you, blah, blah, blah. Same type of thing as the film industry. If you can find a good partner. How long does it take you to put together a video? Like I, I was asking you during the break that the car video that you did recently, like what's the process for doing that? Like Just break it down. observation. That literally, I didn't write anything of that down. Uh, the car video do you is, use a green, is Like me. Do you have a green screen behind you? or No, a lot of that is in your phone now. You could just do that. That's why, another reason why I was like, I got my degree, which, you know, I, I do want to clear this up. I do appreciate my time in Miami Dade. Uh, they hate me, sure, I guess, like everyone else. But um, I fulfilled my ma- uh, a promise to my mother about finishing school. And uh, they had some cool people there. I want to shout out, like the last guy, Holly Anderson. I love her very much, screenwriter. But anyways, no. I was in Holly Anderson's last class. It was her last class. It was a six-week summer course, intro to history, and she did not give a flying thing. <laughs> God and bless that, her. It was God like, watch the movie, write a paragraph. We didn't have to respond. Ever, I don't think she ever did. But the thing that came out of her mouth was was oh yeah yeah you're a but real that, professor you know, speaking of yeah. this, you know, that exposed me to you know buster really buster keaton you know the general one of amazing i mean talk about physical comedy and facial expressions the yeah, things like that i also had to watch for the first time birth of a nation 
where, you know, I think, I don't want to get into today's show, but, but I think it's time we move on from Birth of a Nation. We don't need to talk about the greatness of a of love letter to, to a horrible time. And, yeah, exactly. and there's other films of that era that I think can just show the changes in filmmaking. I think it was Taft, President Taft. Uh, or whenever, whoever was the president in the 19, early 1900s when that movie came out who said it's like lightning and screen or something yeah. like, like that's how it was Wilson or one of those guys Wilson had a screening at the White House I think yeah one of those it says like lightning or like history written with lightning yeah. and it's like oh that's why uh, things are going on today but anyways if, for those who are not into Miami or not don't live here Holly Hunter uh, Holly uh, Anderson uh, is a great screenwriting professor at Miami at the prestigious school of Miami Dade which I love but I just didn't like that they had our graduation at the University of Miami campus. Yeah, like they were like, hey guys, look where you couldn't afford to graduate from. It's nice, right? Last one I saw was in the uh, Marlins ballpark. That would have better. It was more filled. I mean, the graduation got more fans than the Marlins did. We went to one Marlins game. That's a good one, Howie. Last year, and they were, it was empty. I mean, I actually, we... Uh, <laughs> Howie with the jokes. I'm a Yankee fan. You know, my parents are from the Bronx. I grew up on the Yankees. My cat, one of our cats is named DJ, or, after Derek Jeter. After Derek Jeter, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. I hope Aaron Judge stays. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a New York, really a New Yorker. You know, Yankees, Rangers. I lived in New York for a very long time. I, I was born here in Miami, but around 11. Uh, my mom took us up to New York. I lived in Brooklyn for a long time. What so, part of Brooklyn? Uh, Sunset Park, Bay Ridge area by the Verrazano Bridge. So okay. I spent uh, my whole middle school and high school years there. Oh, yeah. Public school or private? Okay. No, if you went to private school. I mean, exhibit A. If you went to private school, I would say my family probably did your uniforms because a Jewish family, what do we do? Catholic school uniforms. Thank you for not prejudging me and, and thinking <laughs> that I went to private school at all, right? But no, no, uh, that's cool. That's a, that's a cool story. No, my family is all here but I, we do have like my mom and my brother does not leave New York they, okay. he loves New York but I hate it I can't I can never go back to New York I love visiting it never moving there ever again in my life not only that I just didn't have a good time I didn't like it uh, no one can afford it. It's uh, the winters is too much after a while. It's just, it's just, you know, but I was there for 9-11. So it was like, I consider myself a, a real New Yorker. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're, so we just talking about, you know, your creative process, really Instagram and TikTok. So you use the apps and, and it's interesting, you know, you know, film school and you see people making these videos, do all these cool stuff in that. But it's, do you see like, it's a difference in the ability to make, you know, a 10 second video or a 30 second video to making, you know, an actual like narrative film with a purpose. I actually got hate DM one time for from a former student. I still don't know who it was, but I screenshotted and everything. This was like three years ago, I think, uh, when I started doing the, the skits during the pandemic lockdown. Yeah. But yeah, somebody from a fake account sent me a thing, said, uh, oh, you think you're going to get anywhere with these stupid little skits? I directed two films already, uh, long, uh, long films that, that went to these festivals and that festival. You're you're an idiot and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, this is definitely somebody pissed off in film school. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it, would, it would be a shorter list of people I didn't piss off in film school. So it was like, who is it. So I just kept like trolling. I'm like, shut up. I'm going to make it. Like I was, I didn't care. But uh, then they kept like commenting because uh, once you get into that social media game, interaction, whether it's good or bad, is good. It's like the old saying, any even bad publicity is good. It's good publicity. Yeah, because you need the interaction. You need the, the comments. You need the likes. You need yeah. the views, whether they're good or bad. You yeah. can't let it get to you. Have you ever made something, you know, on TikTok, Instagram or perform live and the hate mail or been heckled and you're like, this just doesn't work. I'm going back to the drawing board. No, never. 
Never. There was one time where I where I fought, like physically fought somebody, uh, another comedian. A comedian. It wasn't a heckler. It was a comedian. Is there video? Yes, it went viral. <laughs> and it did not do good for my career, but it was it was still views and it was still like uh and I actually got a death threat from that too and everything. Like, oh yeah, you should try that on me. They don't even know what happened. I was I was warranted. Yeah, because I I could piss people off and act like an asshole, I mean a hole all day. But I never touched like 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 you know, somebody like as far as punching and Did you win the fight? Of course. Howie, come on. So I was fortunate. I learned at a young age I'm not a very good fighter. So didn't do it. And even there's this, you know, talk about movies and image like like veteran people think that like you know oh i was in the marine corps i must be a one-man killing machine like like not at all i I got out 20 years ago i think i held the gun twice you know since then and it's uh no but you you your weapon is this exactly me i'm puerto rican i barely have this i have an easter island head with an easter egg braid yeah you you're smart that's what i'm saying i know enough there's no rules in fighting if i ever feel threatened like that i'm kicking the guy between the legs and running that's that rape prevention martial arts exactly. <laughs> i said no exactly what um so do you have do you have videos do you have things that you're working on now or is it just stuff that yeah. kind of comes well, up just to bring back the that moment? fight thing i just want to just put a period on that it wasn't my fault and me and the comedian have since uh made up in our cordial now so um yeah that was very wrong of me though violence is not the answer guys so i, I want to say that to anybody watching or this is like everywhere right all right cool yeah this is uh this is a cool podcast i want to give a shout out because I'm already like to my brother, man. My one of the only people that really stains me. I don't know why, man, but I love him very much. Freddie Rodriguez, the executive producer, and of course Victor too. Shout out to Victor. But uh, anyways, I feel like I, I won a rap award or something. Thank God, I want to thank God, my family. So do you just like does just ideas pop into your head? For stuff, do you, you know, you're observational. So, like, if you see you see something funny on the way home today, and you know you're gonna make a TikTok video about it. Yeah, I see funny things all the time. And I don't make any videos for it as much as I should. Yeah, that's... If you're in this, you have to be in it, though. You know, that's one of those things that you really have to be in it. But at the same time, I, I like money a lot. Like, I like money a lot, a lot. And if, you, if you're good at this, it's, it's very unlikely that you have a lot of money unless you know how to monetize it how often do you post every day every other i should post every day now i only post what i want to post and it works okay so to aspiring social media clowns clowns (laughs) that want to do stuff like yo is posting every day too much or you know you just want to you want to fill people's timelines you want to get stuff out there you want to fill people's timelines as much as you're able to but uh, definitely don't let it uh, affect your real life and your real uh, money but um, yeah, man, that's that's it. That's um, pretty much what I, where I'm at. I'm still a student of it. I'm still st- I'm only five years in, and I'm only like two and a half years with the social media stuff. I'm really happy where I'm at right now. Uh, I, I don't compromise any of my values or principles on social media for for a like, right. which I'm very happy about. But unfortunately, nowadays, the crazier you are, the better. Like, like the more respected or not respected, but the more views you get and, you know, you can monetize those views, man. Yeah. So that that's actually a great leaping off point that we're going to talk about in our next segment. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support and training. And ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. All 
All right, we are back with Dean Tarantino Gonzalez. Dean, let's get serious for a moment. So I want to talk about something from, from where I'm sitting, you know, as, as a comedy fan, as an audience. It seems like there's the elephant in a room for every comedian, whether, you know, Chappelle or, you know, locals just starting out with you. Does, does the risk, you know, the fear of facing backlash or, or being canceled, does that hang over your head? Like, do you think that at any moment this could be taken the wrong way? This could go too far? Does it put you on eggshells? Do you think it's, it's hurt comedians from really being themselves and really performing to their best? No, not a comedian, not real comedians, because I actually, especially with the social media game, I look for it. I, I definitely look for the um, that moment, not in the way of like, that's how I really feel. But if I if I have an opinion about the topic, uh, then I'm going to say it. And if somebody really finds that uh, it's offensive, whatever I said about that topic, and they come at me, I, I'm going to have all the ammunition I need to, to talk about it. Because it's I'm not coming from a bad place, and neither does most comedy. But a lot of people uh, are getting into comedy, trying to change the uh, direction that it's going. Uh, from, from something that we all used to, or especially the old time guys, used to go into like dark topics and make funny. Now these new generations and they're trying but comedy weeds itself out like I said before but they're trying to just make it just more trendy and stay on that trendy uh, progressive if you will new type of normal comedy where, where, where it's like frowned upon if you even say anything remotely against what their narrative is. So they're more they're more concerned really with being marketable and catering to to the crowd catering to. In their mind the the under underprivileged or the or the or the ones without voices in their mind because they've been so suppressed for a long time in their childhood by being whatever a trans inside or whatever uh, or marginalized in their mind they have good intentions i get it but now it's come to a point where they're always attacking anyone who has any type of anything to say about uh someone who has an opinion about let's say uh, a transsexual person in the opposite sport league right. you know like the swimmer i didn't know anything about pronouns i thought pronouns were just nouns that got paid i didn't know anything about pronouns until a few years ago you got people calling themselves they them i don't care you know i don't I, you know i have friends who are who are uh, he she they them yeah. <sighs> It's, I don't care. If, if you're a good person, you're a good person. If you're a dick, you're a dick, no matter what you exactly. call yourself. Exactly. Now, here's the thing about them sometimes. There's theaters here in Miami, especially, that are specifically catered to them. I'm not really uh, invited or allowed because I have uh, what you just said, a right. dick, and I'm a straight uh, male. And that's all. That's all I need to not be really invited, even though I would easily go there. I've been, I go to all these places that, that love comedy, and I'll do comedy anywhere with anyone. That's the only thing that kind of keeps us like uh, the, the one thing. All my comedy friends would never be my friends in real life. I would never go to a barbecue of none of my comedy friends because we're just from all walks of life. That's almost like our common ground now is this podcast. And we're having a great conversation. Are you going to invite me to your daughter's wedding? Probably. Okay, well, thank you. First off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's literally it. Like, we've right. gotten closer, some people in my own family even, let's right. say. Like, even if we decide to do more podcasts later or, 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 or share tips as far as podcast hosting, that's just like the, the common ground. They don't want anybody else unless you're with them on that side. Okay. Comedy is really an even playing field and it should always be that where are the good places in miami to go to see comedy uh miamicomedy.com always uh, has the best rooms every day which okay. is what keeps me doing comedy every okay. night uh have not comedy always has uh my uh, my friend dom owns that 
Uh, they do a show at the Improvs uh, every other Saturday or so. But yeah, those two, MiamiComedy.com, Instagram, uh, me, you know, I have a few uh, rooms that I can always send somebody up. I always have like hospitality towards people who come down here for its comedy. Um, and yeah, they know good comedy. So MiamiComedy.com, a lot of people never even been, have you been to a stand-up show? No, not down here. That's what I'm asking. As much for our listeners, this is, you know, for, for me too. I want to go, I want to go check some out. When's the last show that you went to? Let me ask you. Last, uh, to the last comedy show I went to yeah. was, it had to be, I think, 2006. 16 or 17. Please don't say Rodney Dangerfield. Is yeah. <laughs> we saw Jeff Dunham. Oh, he's great. I love saw that guy. Saw Jeff Dunham. Saw him live at the George Mason University. The in puppet the, guy, yeah. The puppet guy. And, uh, and again, you know, he, one of his, you know, one of his puppets is Ahmed the Dead Terrorist. Yeah, but you saw him in an arena, right? It was an arena. It was the best, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was sold out. But as far as local... It's been a long time. You ever been to like an improv or the or the I used to Vinnie, like when I was younger. Any brands, Laugh Factory in New Jersey. Yeah, I mean we went bananas. Okay, there's a cub in North Northern New Jersey. Boston is actually a pretty good comedy town. Yeah, absolutely. I mean we were going college, but again, no one, no Nobody one did I remember standing out. I don't remember the names. Okay, just comedy shows. But, but you had a good time. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what that's what it's all about. And then one day maybe you might see that guy that you saw one time at the local dive bar open mic might be on TV. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, me and Freddie, I've gotten, I took Freddie to like, he's probably been to almost 10 shows uh, just knowing me. <laughs> you know, he loves it every single time. His wife comes through uh, every time too. Nice. You know, so um, you got to go. Anybody who hasn't been to a comedy show, I highly suggest you go. It's a smooth night. It's a funny night. It really makes you and helps you forget the uh, things that we all deal with every day, man. Because if we didn't laugh about all these things, we'd be crying every single second of every day. I say that all the time. Yeah. So that's our job to make people laugh. And um, yeah, I would definitely suggest going to MiamiComedy.com, HaveNotsComedy.com. If you're in the city, in New York City, comedy is just so oh. prevalent. Every single corner. Yeah. LA too which I'm moving to soon so have you had a chance to perform outside of Miami yeah I performed uh, LA New York Atlanta Miami yeah I performed yeah the major cities which was your favorite I like New York a lot I actually performed in Orlando too at the Orlando Improv one time uh, I want to shoot my special there the people are so nice but New York City is so cool because it has like a lot of comedians yeah. And it's just such a, you could do three shows in one night there. Literally three shows in one night. Do the comedians on the circuit, especially like in New York, LA, the comedians houses where there's like 10 of them all living together in um, a rental? <laughs> so like in LA, they used to have the comedy store, uh, Mitzi Shore. Pauly Shore's mom. Pauly Shore's mom. Yeah. She used to have a house that she used to bring all her favorite comedians that lived there for free pretty much. Um, that's why I love LA, man, because it's like a movie over there. Richard Pryor lived there. Uh, Sam Kinison lived there all in one house. Do you imagine oh, well, the and, stories? And I mentioned Boston. There's one in Boston, you know, Dennis Leary, Stephen Wright, a lot of Boston comedians that came up together. They all, yeah, they all yeah. lived in a house. Probably not because the real estate and rent is super high nowadays. That's that why you need ten people even, to live to live there. So yeah, I, I haven't heard of any of any of them because I, I, yeah, I was looking for a place in L.A. and the most you could do is probably like bunk up with another comedian or, or two. But as far as that type of thing, where the club owner has a um, uh, apartment is not really too commonplace anymore, you know. But and all those comedians, you know, especially back then, living together is like, like an incubator. You know, they would all I'm sure I would never live bounce, with you know, and grab ideas off because they they were all so different. There's stories that I would 
I would literally punch someone in the face if they did that in my house. <laughs> I'm talking about ejaculate on the TV screen. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, stuff like that, like uh, piss on your bed and like think it's funny. I would kill you if you ever did that and you were my roommate. But the, the, with comedians, they're like, ah, no. <laughs> Ain't no ha, ha, ha with that. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure maybe somewhere. I don't know. It's a fun journey, this comedy thing, man. And if you haven't found your journey yet as far as your passion, I highly suggest that you start the quiet quitting process of whatever is making you money at your job that you can get easily replaced. Focus on that. If you have a job where you can like on the free time, which let's be honest, you have a lot of free time at a real job sometimes, right? What do we do? We, we, we scroll through Instagram, watch my stupid videos uh, or TikTok. But imagine using half that time to pursue your passion or read up or, or watch clips of uh, whatever your passion is. You're, you're building your, your mental value to go ahead and be good at that passion. You know, so, you know, I, I always say that, man. It's- and you mentioned money before. And it, it's interesting. And I speak from some personal experience and other people I know just, you know, chasing money, you know, for a long time, you're chasing that promotion. It's on there, chasing more money and all that. And, you know, I think, you know, maybe little bit there's a shift in mentality i know for me personally that it's more the ability to just earn a living doing something you truly enjoy is worth more than making a ton of money doing something that makes you miserable yeah i mean reinvest it if you you, you're doing something that makes you miserable you have a ton of money reinvest that money into your passion or whatever it is as and then slowly transition it so until that passion can keep you afloat even if it's not going to be as lucrative yet as the old job but it's, it's definitely possible, man. But I understand, like, with kids, sometimes it's harder. I understand all that stuff. But I, I don't think you should ever stop chasing your passion because then that's the day that we just start dying slowly inside and becoming more miserable. You know, when, when I got out of the Marine Corps, Back in 2002, and I moved back east, and I moved into my parents' basement, dwelled, I like to say, uh, down there. And, you know, I wish I had realized, take advantage of being broke. I know it sounds weird. Like, take advantage of, you know, you're living in your parents' house. You probably don't have a lot of bills. You have the opportunity to go and explore something, because before you know it, you're going to be in a real job. You're going to be married. You're going to have kids. You're going to have a mortgage, and, you know, and, and, and that's it. So especially, you know, to younger kids who are, you know, 20, 21, 22. And all of the girls oh, still living at home with my parents. You know, I'm jealous of. I'm jealous because they're living rent free. They're living bill free, and and that, and you know, chance chance to explore. So back to what we talked about before. Don't be in such a rush to grow up. I think sometimes take take advantage of things. Everything happens in God's timing. I don't even want to sound like this, right? Everything happens for a reason. That's what my grandmother used to say. Yeah, but the, the one thing that I really do not ever want to take advantage or, or take for granted is the love of family. I mean, you know, especially the documentaries and movies we see sometimes, uh, people living on the street, people on drug, you know, sometimes I feel like they just took for granted the love that they have a family around them, you know, so. And, and then we start looking at the statistics about it. Everybody, uh, when they leave college, has a, like a 55% chance to return to their parents' house by the time they're 23. It's like statistically a thing. So you shouldn't feel uh, defeated by that. You should, you should look at it as... Uh, that's probably maybe what your parents even wanted. They have a span. They have a span underneath the nest that you thought you flew out of, right. and then you fell, but you still landed in their span, yeah. in their nest, and, and so it didn't hurt as much if you didn't have them because yeah. a lot of people don't have that 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 uh, parent nest. I'm blessed. I've never I've never had to give the key to my parents' house back to them. Yeah, you know, could could always walk walk through the door. You never walked in on them having sex. Thank God, no. Oh, okay, well there you go. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I I would not be here right now. I'd I'd be, you know, probably scarred for life. 
Yeah, right, yeah. I, I would never walk, just walk into my parents' house. <laughs> Actually, a few years back, it was recently, my parents were on vacation somewhere and I uh, was on the phone with them. They called me. Oh, they called me because they were in a bar and they were playing on the kettle drum, the song Wind Beneath My Wings from yeah, a bet, a bet, a bet, a bet, and I, I hate that freaking song. Really? So they want to hear it. And I'm like, you know, so what have you guys been up to? And I'm like, well, you know, you always wanted a little brother. I'm like, oh God, no, 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 no. La, 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 so la, I'm not one listening. One. In your room. Not at their age. Uh, In your old room, we made a new you. As far as I know, my parents, you know, three times, me, my brother, and my sister. That's all I want I want to believe. God bless them. So touch on some interesting topics. I want to go back. There's something that's been kind of swirling in my mind since you brought it up. And that's the idea like your stage personality is really is very different from your real life personality. I mean, I'm sure people are like, you know, oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. Yeah, all the time. And then I just tell them the, yeah. a black joke and they shut up. And, you know, it's so interesting. You know, I just, it got me thinking great comedians, but because, you know, maybe that that comedian person, just a stage person, a performance, you know, those that act also, they're also able to be really, you know, sometimes really good dramatic actors. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Perfect. It had a bunch of comedians, Bill Burr, Lavelle Crawford, Brian Cranston. It had a bunch of, of just comedian, comedians that killed it, yeah. like as far as the dramatic role. Why do you think that is? Like, do you think it's just because it's it's easier to do something that's just the complete opposite? That's the real them, dramaticness. That's the real us, dramatic, drama, turmoil, dramedy. That's the real us. Right. We just added the, the the spice of comedy to our drama yeah. movie. You know, that, that's that's all we did. And it, it makes it bearable, not only bearable, but it's, other people like it. It's like, oh, wow, all right, cool. This is, I guess this is why I'm here. Yeah, like the, the other night, movie from my childhood. It's called, it's The World According to Garp. It's Robin Williams. Okay, what, when he was 10? Close, it was, I'll tell you how old it is. It's Robin Williams, Glenn Close plays his mother. Oh my God. And it was her first like feature film role. John Lithgow. Oh, I love John is Lithgow. In it. And it's, you know, it's a dark comedy. I mean, this had to be the early 80s. This was, you know, right around the time of Mork and Mindy. How hot was Glenn Close back then, right? Well, they she aged. Well, now, movie, but, but I guess. No, no, in the movie. Oh, yeah? In the movie, she aged. And, and the story, you know, she's she's a feminist and, you know, she was a World War II nurse. Wanted to have a kid, but didn't want to get married. You know, now you couldn't make it today because she basically sexually assaults a comatose pilot who has a constant erection and gets pregnant and just how he... That sounds amazing. Yeah, and just, you know, how he grows up and all. It's that's really a, just a, a category fascinating movie. And I remember seeing, like, like John Lithgow plays a, 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 a trans woman. He plays a trans? Trans. Well, you know, former football player, you know, Robin was like, you you look familiar. And he's like, you know, do you watch football? Yeah, well, I used to play tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. Sure he did. I'm yeah. sure he yeah. was a really tight end. Th that, but it's just, you know, you realize just how talented. And it was dramatic? It, it's a dramedy. It's a dark, I would say more, more drama. You know, it's like, it's like a 49%, 51% drama, maybe 40, now probably more like. 80-20. But it had those real life comedic uh, moments where it was like they're oh natural. They're natural. They're yeah. not forced. Exactly. And, and that's the thing also when you watch. Like the Sopranos. Sopranos. Same thing. That, that, that's a comedy yeah. that, that show. As serious as it is as much killing or whatever is going on. Comedy. Just the naturalness of it. The real lifeness of it. And, that, and that's another show. Like the people that were in that half of them show up in the Godfather movies. You know then half of them showed up in Casino right. again. Uh, you know James Gandolfini another one right. lost too soon. Right. Rest in peace. Best. There's some roles that 
the script allows any actor to play or actress yes. to play, right? Like that movie with the gravity, with the the moon, with the Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Yeah, I heard this a story that Brad Pitt's wife, what was her name, Angelina Jolie, yep. she was upset with her agent because she didn't get that movie. And then when I read this, I was like, oh yeah, she could have played that role too, and it would have been just as good. But there's some roles, bro. Tony Monta- uh, Tony Soprano. Yep. Nobody else could have played this. Oh yeah. Nobody. There's a, and I know you know people have mixed feelings about you know the Marvel movies you know and all that, but like you cannot pick picture anyone else playing Tony Stark than Robert Downey Jr. You can't picture anybody else playing Captain America than Chris Evans. You can't imagine any Deadpool. other Thor. Deadpool, the Deadpool guy. Deadpool. It seemed like Deadpool was made for uh, what's it, whatever his name is, uh, Ryan Ryan Reynolds, right? Deadpool, yeah. Yeah, like like uh, I hated Ryan Reynolds because every movie he's like that. He's like, oh guy, hey, it's the same. Yeah, he's like, oh god, I guess his head didn't come off as one of the cleanest that was. Like I, I would hate him every single time. And then when Deadpool came out, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's you. But then you think like, let's say they made Deadpool thirty years ago. Like who could have played that role? The only one that I think of that maybe could do physical comedy of that, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, you know, did a lot of. I remember you remember in Ace Ventura, did a lot of lot of the physical Riddler. stuff, and you know, he's another one. He did the Riddler, and very dramatic. Have you seen him lately? He's all he talks about is uh, paintings and yeah. and uh, existential stuff, and like we're not really here, we're not really this, we're not really that. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, I always think um, those type of dramatic roles are best for comedic actors because we definitely have that uh, that darkness and side of us but uh, that's not to take away from um you know regular actors who who probably have a darkness inside of them too they just uh, never really like flipped it up as far as comedically but it really is a good help to tap into one specific uh trait or characteristic or emotion such as humor because if you could tap into humor as targeted as we as we do as comedians you could definitely tap into drama or whatever it is so yeah man so is acting something that's in your future definitely i'm, I'm acting right now that's it right now yeah i'm acting i'm acting like i'm not drunk <laughs> nice. well you know we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little more we're gonna take one more break and then we'll be back to finish up this episode to our listeners if you enjoy listening to our podcast please support us by subscribing to the cinema pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to our listeners. I'm Howard Brand. We are here today with Dean Tarantino Gonzalez. Dean, we covered a lot of stuff today. We talked about a lot of different things. One of the things you mentioned is that you're moving to LA soon. So what's what's the future for Dean look like? The future looks uh, bright, I guess, right? I don't know. Uh, it looks expensive. It looks very liberal, I guess. <laughs> the future looks, looks uh, interesting. I mean, uh, Florida and California are very different politically, uh, but uh, I try to ignore that, but there's, you can't help but notice how it affects your everyday life. California, very expensive, very expensive. I actually Googled free things to do in Los Angeles the last time I was there. Anything come up? People watch. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. I went with my girlfriend to the Venice Beach Boardwalk, and I was like, look. Uh, I, I think you can still walk on the Santa Monica Beach Pier 
for free. I don't think they charge you. Not yet. But the park, yeah, they still they still charge. Yeah, super expensive over there. Everyone's driving electric cars. But I'm excited, man. That's the only way to do things if you're gonna, especially in film. Obviously, that's the mecca, right? You hone your skills here in your home, wherever that may be. Your roots. You you take your roots very carefully out of here, right? You don't do things very like abrupt or without a uh, kind of a plan. And then you plant your roots in LA, and they have such a magical atmosphere that your plant based off of your roots is going to grow into this weird cool creative thing that you never thought possible and it's just going to match and blend in with the atmosphere that you're just going to be like if you do go back home for like a vacation a couple years later or something you're going to notice the difference in you from when you left that's what i love about la i lived in california for five years i was up in kind of northern california where Where? lived in stockton for years stockton is dangerous usually when i say to people i lived in stockton they're like why that's almost like compton yeah the only (laughs) it's funny the only at the time the nicest part of stockton was university of the pacific uh where i was supposed to be graduate assistant do stuff that didn't follow through. That actually, they use University of Pacific a lot to stand in for like Ivy League colleges. I think they filmed the program, some other stuff. And then uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, you know, just south of LA. Oh, so you were in the Marine Corps? I was in the Marine Corps. This, okay, that's why. So nobody really messed with you because you're, you walk around what, in your blues and stuff? Exactly. I mean, don't I look like a green amphibious... <laughs> killer <laughs> or at least an undercover cop yeah yeah, yeah. The, two, the two response i usually get is uh yeah I, I lived in stockton why and uh yeah i was yeah i was a marine you really no that part i, I believe but yeah oh is it great that's great, great but, experience uh, great like experience it's, but it's you know cool, guys cool living. you know you can't it's hard to explain if you haven't done it um and that uh, just you know brothers for life oh as far as the marines and all that yeah no that, that's obviously yeah. i could talk about that on another episode yeah, and, yeah. but cali living definitely kind of like uh was you stuck know, with I you liked, i like parts of it you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps, the job market was really tough. I mean, this is 2002. You know, this this was a different time. So, so I moved back east. It's, uh, I was never a fan of L.A., just for whatever reason. Um, and that I love, my favorite part of California is the Central Coast. Like Santa Barbara, North. But my wife and I went out there a few years ago. We did like the Sideways tour from the movie Sideways. We went to a whole bunch of wineries that were in the movie. Went to a restaurant. There's a town there called Solvang, which is, it's like a little Dutch town. Like all the buildings are that style, bakeries. It's just I never seen it, but it sounds cool. Yeah, Hearst Castle. You got to tell me more about that. I will definitely, definitely. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Anybody who is in this film thing, I know people are waiting to see how the incentives in Miami and Florida specifically uh, grow. People are holding their breaths for it, and there's a lot of good talent over here for sure, and a lot of people with great ideas and passionate. But um, I would definitely suggest just at least taking a trip out there and and seeing what's up. In, in the Mecca because when you start thinking about the places that they already gave the good incentives for shooting like Atlanta and stuff half of those people are from LA you know they still got the higher ups who are making the decision the shot callers from LA you know I, I've been to that I, I, I've seen it with my own eyes and it's interesting with the rise of like streaming networks you know the limited series it used to be especially for actors, you go out there for two or three months during like, you know, we call the pilot season. You know, it's when everybody was holding open casting calls for pilots and everything. But because there's no like schedule anymore, things come out all the time, that kind of died off as, as an opportunity. So, are you, are you going out there to pursue comedy or acting? Comedy, um, and then I'm going to do some acting on the side. Comedy is my thing, though. Comedy is my savior. Comedy is my higher power. Do you, do you have any gigs lined up? Yeah, I have friends out there. I've been traveling out there for the past four years. Uh, I go at least twice a year to New York and L.A. Uh, those are always the two things that I'm always going back to back. Uh, fourth way. And living in L.A. is like a movie. You go to the comedy store, you sit down. 
they they allow the comedians to just get in free and sit in the back. Oh, wow. Nobody bothers you. And then you sit down in this dark room and then like somebody's on stage, uh, Dave Chappelle's on stage and you're like, oh wow, my God, he just popped in. And then you look to the side and, and Aziz Ansari is sitting next to you, his, his knee rubbing on your knee. He's like, am I in a TV show right now? <laughs> but you have to act cool because yeah. this happens all the time. Uh, one of the times I was there, I was with a, a girlfriend of mine. I'm at a red light, like at 11 o'clock in the night on Sunset Boulevard in a, in a convertible Benz. Right, because I, I always get a Benz out there. You have to, you have to. Of course. So then uh, uh, old school Chevy pulls up next to me and it's that rapper Ty Dolla Sign for some reason. Uh, you might not know who he is but he's like super famous over there. And then he looks at me, he revs his engine and I'm like oh my god it's Ty Dolla Sign. I'm like what's up bro? And he just gives me this this look like what's up? But then he turns to my girl and wigs at her. I'm like nah boom boom this is happening now. Comedian as I am I had to make that first left <laughs> so with the lights are green he, he hit it and I went eh, nice. left. <laughs> but that's the type of stuff that only happens in LA you know and and I for one am very looking forward to living that type of TV show every single day nice and and I think you know you're really you know jumping in with the sharks out there and I think to be able to do that you have to have gone through what you did you know you have to form that tough that thick skin I not only that I have my skills up uh yeah I've seen the competition over there as far as comedian and a lot of them are actors pretending to be stand-up comedians and I don't want to talk uh garbage about them I'm not saying that they're not funny or whatever but what I'm saying is that they have they, they have it a little backwards as far as they're actors. They're pretending to, to be uh, comedians, yeah. So the, um, the last time I was there, there was a comedian from Florida, from South Florida. Uh, his name's Forrest Shaw. He actually became successful moving out there. He's a good example. He became a writer for Jim Jeffries' show, Comedy Central. He's, he's, he's been doing comedy a lot. Anyways, he goes up second to last, and he's a killer, mind you, at this one place that was out there. Uh, and then they cut him at 10 minutes, and then they proceed to bring the headliner, a girl, and they, they announce her like this. This next girl has 2 million followers on TikTok. And of course, she goes up, completely bombs after this guy who is a real comedian. So it's stuff like that going on a lot over there. So I'm really not worried, but I'm trying to be a little nicer than what I, the reputation that I built over here, which I'm not, you know, upset about. I'm just, I'm just going to go in with a different mind. I'm way more, I'm going to be way more calmer. And now I'm like a guest, so. I gotta be. And um, I'm showing my age when I was, was in college back in the late 1900s. Uh, is when John Stewart was still doing stand up. And he came to my college, performed, and he was awful. I mean, he was like obnoxious. He got booed off the stage. And I don't even remember who the who his opener was. His opener was hilarious, was amazing. Oh, yeah. So I, I went to a college of Rhode Island called Roger Williams University, RWU, which also is sometimes referred to as Rich White University. That sounded, but like, I mean, my freshman year, 1993, little school in Rhode island concert rage against the machine in cypress hill it was amazing so dean you're moving to la you're leaving us but definitely our listeners want to be able to follow you so where can he find you on social media at latino tarantino 2x at latino underscore tarantino 2x my first page got deleted but whatever at deanfunny.com and uh, my podcast mad at the world uh, podcast on YouTube. Just search up Mad at the World Podcast. You're going to see me there ranting, making some jokes, uh, talking about everything's going on and, and you know, just things that uh, someone like myself goes through and views the world. You know? Awesome. Keeping it real. Keeping it super, super real as I can, bro. I mean, this... That's all you could do. Is That's the most uncancelable thing you could do is be yourself, I think. That's awesome advice. Yes. Dean, it's been great having you. Great. You are welcome to come back. We would love to have you on the show again here. Future, hear about your LA experiences. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to charge next time. Uh, a thousand. It's fine. You, you can send a bill to Freddie. A thousand, a thousand Dodgecoin. <laughs> For Freddie, a thousand Dodgecoin. No, uh, yeah, I can't wait, man. I'm going to, I'm going to 
come up with a bunch of stories. And, you know, anytime you guys are out there, obviously. But, um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. Remember us little people when you make it big. Oh, no. Stop it. We're all big already. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. All right. Uh, yeah, shout out to you, Miami Day College, Victor, Juliet, and, of course, my friend, Freddie. Love you guys. Best of luck to you. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Mike Maloney. Our producer is Juliet Desan, along with associate producer, Victor Ferreira, and executive producer, Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where our special guest will be LaRue Sarvis Jr. We're going to go behind behind the scenes as he is a well-respected behind-the-scenes videographer. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. We'll see you next time. Lights out.